0: And we are live, everybody. Woo! Woo! Finally did it. We had a little uh, audio issue there, but we made it.
1: It just took 19 minutes to figure it out. Right? We're good. Uh,
0: okay. Let's make sure we're in the group streaming. Let's find it right.
1: Which group are you supposed to be in? I don't see it in the um, platinum one.
0: It's in Ad Buyers. Oh, Ad Buyers, got it. Yeah, okay, cool. I see it's in here, we're good to go. Cool. Cool. All right, Maxwell Finn, everybody. The legendary man here, say hello.
1: What's up guys, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about legendary, but the, oh. the it just started like the average mediocre guy. That way everything's just it's <laughs> baseline, everything be good beyond that. Oh, that's funny.
0: Um, okay, cool. So, uh, so, so guys, this is our first, uh, this is our first uh, AdLeaks uh, interview, and Maxwell Finn is the guy I wanted to interview. Um, uh, he's contributed so much to AdLeaks. I want to say thank you, uh, and I want you guys to get to know him better. Um, we're going to be starting to throw uh, more events soon. We're actually planning one uh, uh, low key. I don't want to like announce it too much here, but uh, we're planning one low key for November. Uh, so, uh, I'm definitely going to have uh, Maxwell speak and make, I'll make sure he's available for that. Uh, but I want you guys to get to know him. So, uh, we're going to start doing these interviews weekly. Uh, we're going to interview someone cool every week. Uh, so you get to know them better and also get some, uh, get some answers to your questions. So, uh, so, okay. So here's, here we go, Max. Um, so I know some of these, uh, answers, but some of the people might not. So if I ask you a question, you know, that I know, don't worry about it.
1: I'll just assume it's, it's some random person in the group that doesn't know. Uh, there you go. We're good.
0: Uh, okay, so question number one. Uh, do you have any kids?
1: I don't, um, except for this little little creature that kind of is in every video that I have. Um, Larissa and I, we, we don't have kids yet. We just got married in November, so we are planning it, though. But right now, we just got two two dogs, one that's kind of lazy and just sleeps out there, and this one that <laughs> literally every time I go live, she'll be in her bed, and then she knows the camera's on, and she comes up here to get in the videos. So i am just been using her in every ad now.
0: Nice. <laughs> Using her in the ads too. That's awesome. That's do you, the goal, do you, right? Do you, do, you, do you think it's increased your engagement rate?
1: Oh, definitely. I think cute things work all the time. So mm-hmm. it's you can just look at me in an ad, which is just boring. And just here's like a just middle-aged guy talking about Facebook ads, which is like every other ad you see, or you get a tiny five pound Yorkie that's a Facebook <laughs> ad ninja. So it, it definitely helps. We also use our unicorn character. We have a bunch of like unicorn characters that we've designed that we've thrown a lot of ads. So we have the one we're running right now for the that we did for the webinar, it's um the our unicorn with like a guru T-shirt and he's holding like a whiteboard that has basically a pyramid scheme like mapped out on it, like drawn <laughs> out what the strategy should be. Um, so we have a lot of fun with that.
0: You got to get some of those unicorns from Larry Kim. He had a whole collection.
1: That was impressive. I was blown away considering his company's called Mobile Monkey. That. <laughs> Every slide had a unicorn and not a monkey on it. And I went up to present and didn't have a single unicorn on slide.
0: Right. Uh, okay. So, so you have no kids yet, but a uh, uh, great wife, um, Larissa. Yeah. Uh, so how did you find such a supported wife, a supportive wife? Um, and, and what were your KPIs?
1: <laughs> my, my KPIs for finding a, um, yeah. a supportive wife. So. Uh,
0: it's, it's a big problem. I dated plenty of girls myself, that you uh, you know, you, you work too much or, you know, like, why do you have to go out of town for this? Right. Like, uh, so I I think this is kind of an important question because actually I think that uh, that a lot of uh, uh, both guys and girls um, that are, you know, in the media buying internet advertising industry kind of can run into this because a lot of people just don't, uh, they don't understand, right? Like uh, normal people just don't really get it unless they're kind of like in it with you.
1: Yeah. I think it's it's a challenge because what I see happen a lot is um, like type A people go for type A people. And I think that's, that's a big mistake. Um, this is my opinion, right? It, it could work for other people, but I, I see it. I think it's important in a relationship to have similar interests and passions, but also like very, also like at the same time, very different goals and um, basically what they're what gets them excited. And um, so Larissa has always had her own passions, her own goals, and we overlap on a lot of things. But, um, but like, so we did the, the five love languages, which is a, something I recommend like every couple do. Um, it's basically like a exam quiz you take, and then it's a, it's a book, which is a great book. You you listen to it together and then you take the, the quiz. And what I found is like, we have opposite love languages, but what's important is being cognizant of it. So it doesn't matter if you don't have the same things, as long as you know what the other person is important to them. Right. And, um, so we always had that.
0: Are you uh, like uh, you like the gifts or are you like the uh, positive affirmations or?
1: So I am super high in like it's um gifts and acts of service. And that, that's also why, like for a long time, I'm really bad. I, I like to just give people things. And so Larissa's wasn't gifts, but I always like to get her gifts. So it's recognizing what's, what's important to her and just, um, you know, doing that and then acts of service. She knows that's like one of mine. So like on weekends, she knows, I just, you know, Get lazy and don't want to get coffee or things like that, and just little things she'll go and do, which has a big impact on me. Um, but I, I think you're you're always going to deal with challenges bringing somebody into your life. If anybody here is an entrepreneur, or market like it's inevitable, right? It's you're going to deal with times where it's just overwhelming and it's too much work, and and you have to make decisions. I think it was really challenging. Actually, I wouldn't say it's change challenge. The challenges have changed in that. When you're like coming up she's we've been together for for over five years and so you know in the beginning i when we first started dating it was on the the downward spiral of my first startup and so like i started from scratch and dealing with that has its own challenges but then you kind of get to the point where now things are going really well and you're successful and and all the needs change but then there's you know challenges that come with that of overworking and um and so what we really focus on now is quality of life and like how we spend time together, um, because that that's the most important thing. Like, I can work extra hours if I wanted to, and I'm sure I can make more money, but I, I'm happier now, like disconnecting. So, like, if we go somewhere, this has been a really challenging thing, and I, I challenge anybody in here to do this, um, to at least try doing. It. It's very difficult. Like when we go to dinner or go to the movies or things like that. I'll just like leave my phone in the car at home. Uh, because there's no purpose. Like, you if leave your phone
0: home, in the car at home. How do you survive?
1: It's it's weird at first. Like, we did the first time I ever did it, because we live in Orlando, so we you know, we go to Disney Springs, and, and there's a lot of things to do, which is kind of like a bunch of restaurants down by Disney and shops and stuff. And went there and I just love my phone. And we were shopping, and I was like sitting there while she was trying things on. I honestly like just started reading like the inside of like a hat, the envelope on like some of the clothes. Cause I didn't know what to do. Like I'm sitting there and I don't have a phone or anything, but once, once you get over that, it's uh it's really relaxing. Like knowing that even if somebody's reaching out to me right now, like I can't, there's nothing I can do about it and it's not that important. And it's a weekend or it's, you know, after hours. So that that's been really important for our relationship is disconnecting and separating work and personal. Um, otherwise it's just, it, it, it crashes at some point. Like you can't just keep going 24 seven and not right. put time into the relationship.
0: Totally agree. A lot of times what I do is I just put my, uh, my phone, my phone down on silent and I just don't check it for hours. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a very freeing feeling, but then people get upset that I didn't respond right away as if, uh, as if I'm required to respond right away. Like when did that ever become required? You know,
1: <laughs> it's a big, it's a really big challenge. It, it's, it's not even a challenge. It's a big problem with our society. Like you think about even five years ago, 10 years ago, obviously, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we weren't really in the workforce, but like, I know my, you know, my dad and my parents, like when people need to reach them, it, you know, you can't reach them. It's a house phone or a pager or whatever. You write a letter
0: and then you got to wait for a response. If it yeah.
1: And the response meant more. I think that's the other thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's easier to communicate with people, but I feel like interactions are a lot less valuable nowadays because, it's expected it's rushed people don't think through it and um and it's taken for granted that we have this power to communicate with each other um and we find it i'm sure we'll talk at some point today about agency or or company whatever but it's a big challenge with clients where if you're on slack like we'll get dozens of messages a day like all day they have a team member that just it's just what's happening here what's happening here what's happening here and you could spend all day just responding on slack Mm -hmm. so you need to set ground rules and expectations but yeah it's definitely a challenge um professionally and personally with the instant communication
0: absolutely um okay so i know you're a big marvel fan and actually i just went and saw Endgame uh, a few days ago uh, last weekend i really loved it um so i have to know who is your favorite marvel character i think i already know the answer but i'm not sure
1: so I, I've always been a, a Captain America fan. I, I love a lot of characters. It's hard yeah. to like pick a single, a single character. Um, but it came down to like civil war and Larissa is a huge <laughs> Iron Man fan. I'm a huge Captain America fan. I love I Iron Man too.
0: I thought you were Batman for some reason.
1: Well, so Batman's DC. Come on. We are going to, if we're going to oh, get into yeah, the, the nitty gritty <laughs> comics here. Um, yeah. Superheroes. I am a, a huge Batman fan. Um, okay. But if we're speaking about Marvel and, and this just to make me look extra nerdy and distinguish between the two, um, it would be Captain America.
0: <laughs> totally. Okay. Um, so I have a kind of interesting question. Um, uh, what is your morning routine like? Like what time do you wake up? Do you like do something specific when you wake up?
1: In an ideal world, I don't wake up in the morning. That, that would be my ideal world. I, I hate mornings. Um, yeah. I, it's because it's like, I need to get better about my sleep schedule because I get my best ideas late at night. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also a factor of not being disrupted. So during the day, it's everyone wants your attention. Everyone has questions for you. And so you can't really just sit and relax and think. And I think it's also like we as marketers and entrepreneurs and running businesses, a lot of what we do on a daily basis is very repetitive. And it doesn't require a substantial amount of critical thinking. And because of that, your brain kind of just shuts off a lot of the, the creative components of it. Mm-hmm. At night, when you're kind of just laying there and not specifically focused on a task, your brain's kind of free to wander, and that's where I find you get the the, the best ideas. And, and so I'll get an idea and be like, I need to do something about it right now. I can't like wait until the morning. And it's quiet, um, so I might stay up to like two or three sometimes. And obviously that that throws off your entire entire sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we go, we have an office downtown. I work from home two days a week. And then we have a, a, an office with our team that I go into twice, three times a week. Um, and so I'll be in at like nine 30 for, for that in the morning though. I usually like to, before like I do anything, spend 30 minutes, just like consuming content, not like reading stuff, but like podcast, YouTube, audio, something like that. Um, just cause like it's entertaining. I get some knowledge and content and it, it Allows me to just get the wheels turning without diving into work right out of the gate. And then I'll usually, if I'm driving into work, y'all have an extra, you know, 30 minutes to listen to you know a podcast or something, audiobook on the way in. Nice. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, man. Okay. So this here's this is a, a very, very important question here. Coffee, Red Bull, or tea?
1: As I'm drinking a monster, the that was a good timing. Um, so in the morning, I I'm a huge, if anybody that's from Jersey or the Tri-State area knows about Wawa. um, So there's a Wawa that they moved down to Florida and uh, they're across the corner. So that's where I go every morning to get coffee. And uh, I'm trying to cut back on on like energy drink consumption. Mm -hmm. But it's also this this challenging thing where it's like when I want to stop doing something, it's usually the worst time where I'm busiest. And so I'm trying to find this balance of like okay, I, I want to just have a break where I don't need to drink as much caffeine and I just don't have to do anything. But it just seems like my my days get busier and busier and busier. So it's something I'm trying to limit. Um, it's a work in progress. So <laughs> like today's-
0: right. we're, we're, As you said, we're trying to uh, work a little bit less to improve the quality of life, but at the same time, be more efficient with the hours we are working, which usually means that they're more crowded, right? So Yeah, I, I exactly. Um, okay, so now- uh, I'm gonna ask you some more uh i guess career oriented questions and whatnot um, so uh, one uh, kind of how did you start to learn and kind of get into the digital marketing space in the first place
1: yeah so I started my first um, my first company while I was in college um, my, my junior year and um, basically we had it was like a long tail micro influencer platform before that became a thing. We were kind mm-hmm. of, we were ahead of, of multiple curves, which is not a great thing in startup world. Like people think you want to be an early adopter. The, the second, exactly. yeah, the, the, the first mover usually gets slaughtered. That That's just like a mm-hmm. fact. If you look at, you know, Friendster or MySpace and you ask them if they, you know, first mover was a, a good idea. Um, Facebook would tell you otherwise. So started this company and and we had, you know, half a million users on the platform but it was it was very like guerrilla marketing driven. We didn't do any pay traffic. I, I didn't really know about it. But at the end of that, once we we kind of went on the, the downward spiral and and burned through all the investor money, I knew I didn't want to. It's challenge like running when you run a venture back startup. That Silicon Valley mindset is user growth, user growth, feature, technology, platform. Money will come at some point that that's what they push really hard out there and they're still doing. It. And I have some crazy stories because my business partner from the time when one of my best friends is he moved out there, San Francisco, he does a lot of consulting for like 500 startups and he's, they just raised a seed and a series a within two months that increased the valuation 15 to 40 million. So I can tell you some crazy stories about what's happening in Silicon Valley right now of how like much of a bubble it is. But I knew at the end of that, like, I can't do that again where I'm running a company where every day the bank account balance goes one direction and there's no revenue coming in. And so I discovered, I, discover, I happened to discover um, like print on demand and Shopify towards the end of that. And that's when I started startup drugs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and honestly with startup drugs, like I had no intention of that making money or being successful. I, I thought it was like a joke. It's kind of funny, like startup t-shirts and they're, they're kind of sassy and like entrepreneurs would get it. But, um, we got lucky out of the gate. We put it on product hunt back in the day before product hunt was massive. Like now it's owned by Angel List, and now everyone launches their products there. But this is like super, super early on. And we got on the, the you know most upvoted startup of the day. We got just a huge flood of traffic, like fifty thousand uniques to our site in a week. Um, sold, you know, a t- few like 15, dollars of shirts, which at the time for me was incredible. And Facebook just happened to be the platform that I tried. Like there was no rhyme or reason. I just said this, like. I'm going to try Facebook first and I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't set up a pixel. So I, I was just running website traffic ads, like super basic and it happened to make money. I didn't even know how I wasn't tracking it. I just knew like, okay, I'm spending money here and then sales are coming in Shopify. And that's the only way people are getting there So It's gotta be working. And, and that started it. Um, it like if I had started on Pinterest or Twitter, it could look very different today, but it just happened to be, um, be the case. And so that's that kind of started the whole path, and then there's you know a ton of stuff that's happened between then and now. But that was the really first first taste of ecom and, and pay traffic.
0: Yeah, uh, actually, I, I remember seeing your ads, uh, and uh, remember you had some like was it a uh, nine to five is a week or something like that? And uh, that was super polarizing.
1: That was kind of, one of the first times I realized that polarization is a good thing because we used to get tons of people, mainly not entrepreneurs um, who hated on it and, and just would troll and write horrible things. Um, but it was our, of all time, probably our, our second or third top selling design, um, okay. because real entrepreneurs got it.
0: That actually leads me to my, my next question. Um, so I've, I've heard you mention actually multiple times, uh, that you like uh, kind of advertising and using polarizing topics, mm-hmm. uh, or an angle that's polarizing, um, and using them for engagement. Uh, and obviously then, the you know, the end of the day to help your ad performance, um, uh, what do you suggest to someone running, you know, your average kind of Shopify store where it's not politically oriented? Maybe it's like uh, leggings or shoes or something more like that. Like, how do you how do you kind of make that polarizing? I guess
1: it's a really good question. This is actually a question that um I was in in Dallas yesterday. Um, I, I we were talking about it before we hopped on. It's been an exhausting week of traveling and speaking, but that was one of the questions yesterday. Was basically like, I have you know this product um how do i make it fun essentially and, and engaging I, I personally don't think the product necessarily matters in terms of the product matters really like, in terms of the selling and stuff but in terms of like my product's boring therefore my ad needs to be boring i, I don't think the two are interconnected because if you look at that's exactly why like the harman brothers and purple and, and squatty pie all these companies have grown so fast is because they found an industry where everyone else thought that way like hey we sell mattresses and they're boring and they suck but like our mattress is decent um and they said no we're gonna do a totally different approach we're gonna take a mattress we're gonna take a plate glass window with goldilocks and we're gonna drop it on it with you know eggs and, and squatty potty you know looked at it and said hey there's been bathroom products for decades toilet paper sprays and nobody talks about what actually they're for and so we're just gonna go right at it and it makes people uncomfortable but it's going to grab people's attention. So I I think it's looking Uh, at a way. Yeah.
0: How would you do it for like, I'll just use leggings as an example. Cause I had a client a little while ago that was doing leggings. Um, How would you do it for leggings? For example, would it, would you use maybe like the print on one of them? uh, That's, or just, yeah, I guess uh, any example you want, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's challenging with, with the, the legging example. Cause I think the, the, Polarizing's it's good and I and I really believe in it wholeheartedly. I think the the challenge sometimes with certain industries is that our, our culture has become so politically correct that certain topics now have become completely off the table and it can just like crush your business because you can get protested or whatever. So like leggings, for example, i uh, I think there, there's probably ways you could do some some humorous stuff with like the you know lululemon see-through leggings and like you know mm-hmm. don't get embarrassed like you see you know a bunch of girls working out and guys like being pervy and you know your leggings come in and and people can't see your ass through them or people that shouldn't be wearing leggings wearing leggings so i think there, there's ways to to do it that that way but that's probably the one industry that i i personally wouldn't wouldn't go into just with that those angles just because of everything that's happening right now um but yeah, I think it's Maybe
0: like only fit girls wear leggings.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think you could go that route, but you could also go the the opposite route, which is like Larissa and I joke about this ad all the time we see. It's um, I think it's Fabletics is is the company that makes the leggings. <laughs> and it's a TV ad that they run on, on Hulu, I, I believe. And it's literally like, you know, our leggings are made for everybody. That, that's sort of like it starts with but every single image and video they show is, it's like the same crazy shredded girl, <laughs> like an ideal, like perfect body, no body fat. But the whole thing is like, you know, for women of all shapes and sizes, like, no, it's, just, you're just talking, it's just literally the same chick, just like different poses. Um, so I think that's actually an angle that, that could work well is taking the opposite approach, which is mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the truth is that most women don't look like that. Like, you know, it's, you know, sure. That's what people think. And that's what they strive for. I guess like a lot of younger women and stuff, but the reality is that, you know, all women look different. All guys look different. Some of us are, are in great shape. Some of us are super skinny. Some of us are jacked. Um, so I think there's an angle there where, and, and, dove did that dove recognized that a while ago when they took that, that approach where they kind of changed their angle. All women are beautiful. I, I forget the, the exact hook. Um, so that would be an angle, I think looking at the climate and like not wanting to be, Hyperpolarizing in in an industry you don't want to be taking that kind of side where it's, Hey, we make leggings for everybody. Like you don't need to look like so, this to feel so comfortable, line other line other. That,
0: right? You want to be polarizing, but not hyper polarizing. As you just said, where you actually are like losing customers from it or a ton of, so, so
1: I'm still, so I don't, what I, what I um, draw the line on is not the level of polarization. It's the, the industry that you're being polarizing in. Right, because I think if you look at certain topics, there are certain areas in our society right now where making any type of statement, regardless of whether it's just an observation or whatever, like you get instantly attacked as whatever you somebody might call you. Right, it's, there's certain areas that become very, very PC. Um, so those are areas that I would. Yeah,
0: I, I feel like you on. get attacked no matter what you say these days, practically. But yeah, uh.
1: you do. But, but it's but it's we'll, certain we'll things that will get pulled by the press. I get
0: myself in trouble.
1: Yeah, it's a, it, I honestly don't care. Like, I, I love watching, um, like, um, and I, I don't, this is not even about like political affiliation at all because I don't really like, I'm pretty libertarian down the middle. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are pretty, yeah, like, right. pretty down the middle, like, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, whatever it is. I, I just like people doing what they, you know, what they want to do. if that doesn't bother me. But, um, like, Steven Crowder has a, his YouTube channel. Um, and the dude, you know, has some, he's opinionated on some stuff, but like, he, he pushes buttons. Like that's, that dude's the example of like being polarizing, but he's parlayed that into, you know, a shit ton of money and, and, and a lot of success. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't care. He gets attacked, but he's, he's grown a fan base. I think there, there's this assumption that you need to be liked by everybody and everybody needs to be your customer. And I just simply disagree with that. Um, that that's, if you look at the Harmon brothers story and we keep going back to them, but they're just really good at it. Like their first product, which was the I think it was like the Aura like that um like tongue scraper product. Everybody that that guy failed forever with that. He was an older guy that had a product and he brought it into one of the college classes and pitched it. And all the students thought it was stupid because you know only a, a small percentage of people that buy the product were online. So it didn't make sense to do an online stuff. He's like, well, yeah, I mean that's true, but 10% of a billion people is still yeah. a lot of people. And so that that's what I look at is okay. I don't, I don't need to have a hundred percent of the customers or 50% of all the people in the world to buy my product. But if you can get a few million or a few hundred thousand people that are super, super loyal and buy again and again and again, mm-hmm. you can build a very, very large business. I mean, the president of our country and not just our, not just Trump, but like past presidents, almost, almost every president has been hated by almost half the country. Like that's just inevitable yet still president, you know, still holds the most powerful office, and if that can happen, you know, your business can, can make money and grow and be successful. Absolutely.
0: And, uh, and, and I, I look back actually, and if you look at most of the presidential approval ratings, you're right that they are mostly around 50%. Um, where, you know, half the country likes and half don't, but all right, well, so we're going to move on to the next subject here. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier uh, that uh, that you raised venture capital um, for one of your businesses uh, and uh, I've self-funded all my businesses. Um, uh, most of them didn't require a lot of money to start um, and I probably did that because I didn't really have access to uh, huge amounts of money, um, you know, over the last, you know, especially my first five, 10 years uh, in the industry. Yeah, How did you raise VC money? Is it is it like uh, pound the phones, go to meetings, like just like send your pitch deck in, kind of, or was it like someone introduced you through a friend, kind of thing? Or
1: it's um so nowadays, if I wanted to do it, it's a lot easier because I, I know a lot of people that, that write big checks and, and I have relationships with them. So ideally, if you have relationships with people, that that's how, how the, you do the best best
0: you're, Like you're you're watching the live stream right now, um uh, and
1: oh yeah, I'll tell you exactly how we did it before I knew anybody. Yeah. I mean, we raised money before. Like, we didn't know a single person. We had no credibility, no authority, no no track record, no nothing. Um, it is a a total game of numbers and persistence. Like, I, I wish I could tell everyone, here is the secret strategy that if you do this, this, and this. But the reality is, there are a a lot of companies and a lot of entrepreneurs, especially seed stage, like pre revenue, pre profit, that want money. And you have really no leverage at that point. Like the anybody with money has all the cards. It is purely like the power dynamic is one-sided there. So it's a matter of like, if you're not in San Francisco, which I would recommend, like we, we fought this for a very long time internally because we were initially in Tampa and Orlando until my partner moved out to San Francisco. And we said, we don't need to be out there to be successful. That's BS, there's people with money in other places. The, the truth is that they play, the, the, the big VC firms, they play the numbers game. So it's the same model that big law firms and like Goldman have with Harvard, right? So there's a reason why like Bain, McKinsey, Goldman hire a lot of students from Harvard, even though there are plenty of highly qualified graduates coming from other top schools. It's because they look and say, okay, it was harder to get into Harvard, and so all things considered – this person got into Harvard. They went to Harvard. They came out of Harvard. So if they're equal to all these people, they still went to Harvard. And so I'm going to go with them. It gives them an edge. So with with venture capital, it's okay. I can invest in this really cool startup in Orlando, but they're miles away. This company is doing something similar. They also have first-time founders, but they're around the corner. I keep an eye on them. We can give them advisors and, and that's the game they play. So I would recommend if you're serious about it and you have, a, you're really, really passionate about your your business and you need capital that being located in San Francisco, New York, Boston, Austin is, is an important decision to make. Um, if you're serious about raising capital, otherwise you're gonna, you're gonna face a lot of, uh, a lot of uphill battles there. So,
0: so is it, is it then just putting together pitch decks, uh, uh, sending them, you know, submitting them. Cause I know a lot of those uh, funding sites, you can just like submit your deck. Uh and then like following yeah. up and then just pounding like like how many try to like, find family?
1: an in try how to many? find a personal introduction. Um okay. I, I reverse engineer on Link, you know, on LinkedIn you look at who are the managing partners. I mean, who are the you know the general partners of the VC fund? Those are the people that actually make the investment decision or uh, who are so analysts there, under them. see if there's anybody in there that you have a, a first tree connection with because that that makes a big, big difference actually getting the, the email back. Um, you know pitch decks here the thing. Like when you're a seed stage startup or a Series A stage startup, your five-year financials are BS. Like they're they're so wildly inaccurate. Um, what they really care about is traction. Like they want to see serious momentum. They want to see that you got a lot of user growth happening, a big client about you know a big company about to sign a contract or something like that. That's really what matters most to them is that momentum and and also the caliber of the team. So has anybody in your team? You know, sold a startup before? Have they, you know, worked in Fortune 500 and have like a lot of contacts at your potential clients? That so, if you're like my partner Nick and I were both first time founders, we didn't have any track record. So, finding like board members, advisors, consultants, team members, who you give you know some points of equity to who kind of attach their name to it, the Rolodex and their track record is really important as well.
0: Cool. Okay. But um, it's challenging um okay so cool so uh so how long have you uh, how old are you by the way 29 29 young yeah years. all right turning 30 august uh total now like how many years um, about 10 years
1: 10 years uh, yeah. yeah man so i started yeah, my, my first company i started when i was 19.
0: nice Yeah. Uh, And for any of you guys that don't know, by the way, while we're on the topic of VCs, uh, my business partner on AdLeaks, Sean Brown, I want to give a shout out. What up? Uh, He runs GoVC.com and uh, he likes to fund people that have ideally profitable campaigns that just don't have uh, the cash flow uh, to scale up. So if that's you, go to GoVC.com and apply and I'm sure he'd be happy to help. Uh, I love that
1: model, by the way. I I think there's I think there's somebody who's going to crack it. Um, I don't know who it's going to be. It could be, you know, I talked to like Tofer and the guys at Giddy. I think they could potentially do it. One of the networks where you basically, because that's a that's a real problem. You have talented buyers who don't have, you know, a you know huge credit line or, or cash, and they just can't scale something. But like putting together almost like a CPA fund where investors can put cash in that gets invested into a, a you know a portfolio of buyers based on risk and, and experience. And there's somebody's going to figure that out. Um, it's funny. And, we we're
0: thinking about doing like an ad leaks fund, actually, where you could, uh, uh, where you could uh, uh, pool, you know, even a hundred bucks in or whatever, and then we would uh, collectively all decide who to kind of fund and which campaigns to fund, and kind of just make a little a little community investment fund.
1: It's a great idea, and whoever cracks it's going to make a, an absolutely ton of money.
0: Um, cool. So let's let's keep going here. Um, I don't want to. I know we have about ten minutes left only. Um, so, uh, so what traffic platforms are you currently running?
1: um so company-wide like you know we have team members we have partners and we have people that do a lot of things so it's not just Mm -hmm. just me so i mean we run pretty much everything whether it's um you know facebook google which obviously includes search youtube display um outbrained tabool on the native side um we're testing pretty much
0: pretty much everything
1: yeah pretty (laughs) much everything on on the paid side um Um, and we're exploring other things like um like direct site buys and there's some interesting things that we're looking at that i think have a lot of potential as we diversify beyond just paid
0: Oh, absolutely cool Um, okay so there's a i know there's a lot of uh people in the group that uh that own agencies um that uh in some cases are really struggling uh and uh, and some people that want to start agencies um how do you recommend that they go about pricing um i know everyone kind of has their own view on this um but what if you're a brand new agency starting now uh, what pricing tier would you do? You know, would it, would it be tiered or a percentage or what?
1: I mean, the, the, the short answer is it's, it's going to depend on where you are cloud wise. Like, are you coming as an ultra premium agency? Are you, yeah, a, let's say that you have
0: no cloud and you're brand new.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, unfortunately, if you're just getting started, it's a hyper competitive industry getting started with agencies, unless you have some secret sauce or you're very hyper focused on one specific niche in a mm-hmm. specific platform. Um, you know, a, a tiered percent of ad spend is probably going to be your best and safest bet where you, you know, 20% up into 50,000 in and spend, you know, 15% to 100,000, 10%, 100,000 above it. And obviously that fluctuates based on on your typical client. Um, I think the it's the simplest, it's the easiest to explain and digest for a client. I do think, though, at a certain point, it, it begins to become hard to retain clients that way. And that's why we start to move more towards, you know, rev shares, equity, basically aligning our goals. I, I think that's the, the place you wanna be, but it's gonna be hard for you as a new ag- agency coming and say, hard hey, to start i want you know, a profit yeah. share and equity.
0: Cool, totally, totally agree. Um, okay, cool, so um, do you have a criteria for choosing a client right now um, for your agency uh, besides amount of spend? Obviously that's a huge criteria. Um, but, uh, and obviously you wanted the product to be one you think you can help, but, uh, how do you, I guess the biggest thing is how do you, uh, quickly identify clients that are going to be a huge pain in the butt to work with versus the clients that are going to be like super easy.
1: Yeah. Best question to ask them is, and we have this on our application form. Um, how many agencies have you worked with and have you done it internally? So we never want to be a company's first agency. We never okay. want to be a, an agency for a company that's never tried to do it themselves, because in both those situations, they're always going to have this mindset that the grass is greener, right? Like when we did all this stuff, with, like with Perry, and I'm trying to, I, I'm he's he's the pain in the ass to reach reach and get connect with. So I apologize for that. We're we're still trying, um, but uh, like we we, when we ran all the traffic for Perry and Rival. Like Perry had worked with dozens of agencies. He he had a meet, internal media buying team, so he was the easiest client because he's like, listen. We know how hard this is. We don't want to do it anymore. We know what our, you know, expectations are. They're realistic, and they were like super hands off. It was the easiest client, and we would still be working with them, if they didn't get acquired. Um, but that's like an ideal client, and that's people probably that, the people things.
0: that have had an agency before, okay, or that worked know, with an agency before, before, rather, yeah.
1: and also I've done it internally.
0: Okay, because you know them they thing, know they the struggle themselves. Yeah,
1: exactly. The struggle is real. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs>
0: Um, okay, cool. So uh, I to I'm gonna, I'm gonna breeze through some of these questions because uh, I know we're running out of time here. Um, I'm happy to stay,
1: stay for a few extra minutes unless you have something to do. So um, I'm
0: good, man. I'm, uh, I'm here for you. Uh, okay. So what, what is, what is one thing uh, that that intermediate or advanced marketers uh, are not doing uh, that can have an immediate impact on their ROAS? If it was, you just had to give one tip.
1: Um, I would say personalization in their their copy and destination their landing page using generic ad copy generic creative for all segments of their audience going to a generic landing page instead of creating variations where the copy the video the creative and then the, the pre-sale editorial all that has elements of personalization and it related to that slice of the audience
0: so if you're targeting for example a uh, fitness mom or something then throwing some sort of fitness mom text and ad copy or roughly and then also on the lander is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, and include, you know, the the images and the video should be that represent at customer base and everything.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I agree. That's a a good way for people. Um, Let's see. What's the next one here? Okay. uh, In the the last uh, few weeks and month or so, uh, there's been a lot of people struggling to revive accounts that have kind of fallen off the face of the earth. Uh, In some cases, it's because of CBO. In some cases, it's just they don't know. Uh, what kind of tactics do you implement when when your ad account takes a nosedive?
1: That's a good question. Um, you know, we have a lot of diversity in in our traffic channels and in our like in our revenue streams, and I think that's probably the the biggest lesson to take away from this is that if your business is so dramatically impacted by Facebook having issues, your business as a whole has bigger issues, which is that you're too mm-hmm. dependent on one traffic platform now. I would love to say that, hey, if you do this and this, you can fix Facebook volatility, but that's just not the truth. So we can't really fix Facebook bugging out and causing issues, but what we can do is make sure that, hey, we have multiple other traffic streams, organic, unpaid, um, things like those direct site buys, which are consistent and steady. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of things that we can do. Um, So, hey, if we need to pull the the budget back on Facebook, it doesn't dramatically impact our, our revenue and our profit on a daily basis for our business.
0: Absolutely. Totally agree. Um okay so what uh what are you all working on right now? Um I know you always kind of have your hands like me in a bunch of different cookie jars. Um so what like brands are you uh the do, do you own internally uh or uh you know I, I think you're about to launch a new course. What are you like what are you working on right now?
1: What's so your main focus? the the new course is a big focus um that we we just rolled out and then um Unicorn Wealth is our probably biggest internal focus. So So Unicorn Wealth is our um, like financial content, biz op, info product business. So, we mm-hmm. partnered with a company that's like a really fast growing, soon to be competitor to like Agora in terms of size. They've been just buying a bunch of um, kind of individual traders, guys working in Wall Street, they now have their own trading programs like Jason Bond, those types of guys, mm-hmm. uh, just acquiring them and building a massive portfolio of products. And so, basically, we were running ads for them and driving, you know, financial lead gen uh, CPL offers, CPA offers to like, you know, gold investing, cannabis investing, all that stuff. And Eventually, made more sense for us instead of just driving all this traffic and, and leads to other people, let's build something our own that everything can flow through us. We can become an authority in the space, build up the content, build up massive audiences in these different verticals, um, and still get paid to do it by co regging the leads. So, um, so basically unicornwealth.com is like a pure content play, Um, We're bringing out a bunch of traders. We're doing like a trading podcast. Um, We're we're about to do sports betting. So we're about to start working potentially with um, Mm -hmm. FanDuel and MGM. We have like deals on the table with both of them to do um, lead gen for sports betting once that becomes fully. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's
0: super cool, man.
1: And so that's a really exciting opportunity because the the lifetime value there on those types of, of clients is massive. And that's also parlaying into our political business. So we're leading with finance we're running polls to like bull bear market this year and then on the back end of it, we're asking well who's responsible trump or the democrats so we're getting you know leads in for 80 70 cents answering multiple questions telling us whether they're bullish what market they're bullish on how much are they going to invest do they think trump's responsible the democrats and then we're taking those trump leads and we have multiple data partners that are um, you know we're co regging that with and then we're also launching our own political store to do what we did with in 2016 with the Trump coin, but like do it much bigger because we, we have a lot more experience and won't make nearly as many mistakes as we did the first time around.
0: And that's that's just how business goes, right? You, uh, I've certainly made a ton of mistakes and you you learn and, and you move forward. So yeah, I oh, yeah, mean, that's awesome. Uh, congratulations.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it's exciting. It, it's a fun property to work on.
0: And it's smart too. Cause I always, I, I've, I've done a lead gen is probably like a bulk of my experience over the years. Uh, and uh and I tell people now like you the, that the cost of advertising everywhere, not just Facebook, is going up uh, dramatically. Um uh you know, you need to take some sort of back end ownership or Rev share or 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 to start the back end yourself, uh so that you have that high lifetime value so you're able to keep advertising ongoing. So uh, it's crazy. It's just, yeah. Smart smart man, I'm say you're 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 doing it right. Trying um, to. <laughs> uh so let's see next question uh what do you think about uh have you heard people talking about micro budgets uh for large but uh large budget ad ad account uh and if you have could you have you have you tested it
1: i don't i I probably (laughs) should i probably should just for the hell of it just to actually see but like i just can't wrap my head around it i i get it like okay it makes sense logistically, and I get that it can it can have high ROAS, but like everything we do, we're doing with a goal of scale and, and doing tens of thousands a day. And so I, I still struggle to wrap my head around how people are getting from these super high 80X ROAS, like dollar a day, micro budget ads to spending tens of thousands a day. Um, I, I haven't seen any case studies or examples on that yeah. yet.
0: Um, I, I've of, seen only one person doing it. It came to one of my masterminds, and they they said they had to spread it out over like ten ad accounts because you know there's like a maximum number of ads that and ad limits you can have per ad account. Um, so basically, it's a huge pain in the butt to scale. <laughs> um, so uh, so I'm, I'm with you on that. But I, I I have tested it, and it worked really well. Uh, but uh, but it is a, a really pain in the butt to scale. But
1: yeah, uh, it seems a lot of work.
0: Um, so, uh, so I know you have a, a lot of people uh, in-house at your agency. Um, do you guys outsource any part of the process, like uh, creatives or copywriting, or do you pretty much do it all in-house?
1: We try to partner as much as possible um, because I, I think with Quantum, with the agency we have with Kevin, we built the team and we tried to hire and hire and, and basically do everything full service in, in-house. Mm. Um, the problem is it's like the best people at copywriting, the best people at YouTube, the best people at email, usually don't wanna work for somebody else. They mm-hmm. usually have their own shop. And so we'd rather work with the best, because again, we're, we're not like a high volume con- like agency. We're more consulting. We work with a handful of businesses mm-hmm. and those companies are willing to pay a premium for the best. So we'd rather like just be the facilitator and, and project manage and bring those people into our ecosystem with our SOP and our, our flow. Um, then try to hire for all those positions. So we hire a core team. We have people that, you know, on the Facebook buying and the direct media buying and we're, you know, we have people that create content and all that good stuff, but like the high skill jobs where we're partnering with a lot of great people on that front. Yeah.
0: I, I kind of found the same, um, uh, kind of on that subject. Uh, uh, lost my train of thought there. Um, but okay, we'll keep going here. Um, What's your favorite video editor or creation app? Um, I know you kind of found a cool one uh, a couple months ago. I saw in that video, but um, have you found anything else or what, what's kind of your go-to? Um, so like Biteable, I think is a tool you're referencing and there's mm-hmm. just
1: a lot of good ones, right? I think like they're all good, like Animoto, Clipman, Biteable. They, they all have, you know, great templates and they all have different types of templates. I think it's a matter of knowing what the purpose of the creative is. So, if it's something quick, we might use a tool like that. We might use a tool like InShot on iPhone just to quickly add layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's something a little more robust, we'll use you know After Effects or or a, a better tool that has more advanced animations and layers that we can we can use for it. Um, and then beyond that, we have partners that have worked and created video for the biggest brands like Petco and stuff like that that created all their viral social posts. And we'll work with a team like that to put together stuff when we know this offer is working. And like this angle is working really well. Let's create a really nice piece of content that we can put a lot of spend behind. And um, so we have just different tiers based on where we're at. Oh,
0: absolutely. Okay. Uh, so what is there a specific method or methodology uh, that you use for testing on a new ad account, uh, including maybe some go-to ad formats that you always test?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I was, a, I was really against for a long time dynamic creative, um, but recently, you know, just, Started testing it again, and, and we've seen really good results with that. I think it's made it a lot easier to test a lot of things very, very quickly. Um, to to be able to just throw in a, a bunch of headlines, you know, eight to ten different creative variations. We'll usually split that evenly between video and image. Um, you know, ideally on the video side, we'll try to be four by five in our dimensions, just because we find that fits most optimally with all the potential dimensions in terms of stories and and. Mm-hmm um uh, on the video side you know we're really looking for quick things 15 to 30 seconds it, it depends on the, the business right if it's a info product or something that requires a longer sales cycle a higher price we, we're going to start with more entertaining engaging content valuable content on the top of the funnel which might be longer form and then have our, our retargeting further down funnel which might be shorter and more quick and to the point um like ugc has always been really big for us montage has always been really big for us um Carousel ads with testimonials, has always been really big for us. Um, so those are just a, a, a few things. Uh, I'm trying to hit on all things people might ask. Like, we we, yeah. we like to use emojis, we like to use emojis and copy. I don't yeah. think they, um, 100% guarantee that, like, you know, long form works better than short form. I think it depends on the, the product. I think it depends on the price point. I think it depends on where you're at in the funnel. Um, yeah, that's I agree. Why we, love, we love testing things. The, the one additional thing I'll say is what we've been doing for our interactive content for Top of Funnel for like all of our polls and quizzes and stuff that we're doing for a lot of our businesses. The the thing we're testing is basically each week we're deploying a new page post on the page, testing a new basically question, a new poll to see if that's going to hit kind of our, our baseline metric for shares to impressions. And Mm. if it does, then we move it into a dedicated campaign. So we're really putting like 20, 30 bucks behind it for PPE. And then we're looking if it gets a 1% share to impression ratio. So hundred impressions gets one share or more, um, ideally two or three shares, but at a minimum one share, um, yeah. we're we're then looking to potentially move that up. If it's not, if it's gotten you know a few thousand impressions with two or three shares, we're going back to the drawing board. Cause I, I do believe that virality is really important today with how expensive mm-hmm. ads have gotten. Um, and that's, that's absolutely.
0: um okay, so uh what do you use for team communication? Uh, I think you mentioned Slack earlier and I, I mean, internal team communication also. Uh, and then do you use any like task management software like Asana or Basecamp? Or, uh, anything like that? Yeah, we use
1: Slack and Airtable. Um, and there's a new tool that we're looking at. Um, uh, one of the guys, um, one of the owners of Limelight was talking about it yesterday. It is, um, it's called Guru. It's, it, it really looks interesting. It's like this knowledge-based platform. I haven't signed up for it yet. I just looked at it and, and thought it looked really interesting where you can basically, it uses like AI to basically you can download your entire, all your processes, like all of your internal buying, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And your entire team can have access to it as this mind share. Um, and it intelligently delivers the right tips and stuff to the right team at the right time. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah. I'm probably not describing it perfectly, but it, um, it looks really cool. And for what we need, which is training team members and getting up to speed on media buying practices, mm-hmm. uh, it seems really interesting. So yeah, we, I think it's, it's get guru.com. I have no affiliation with it. It's just something we're, we're potentially going to look into signing up
0: for. Yeah, cool. That sounds interesting. I'll check that out. Uh, okay, so I have uh, just a couple questions left. Um, how do you take a campaign international? Uh, do you separate it to a different ad account or is it a different campaign or are you just kind of like lump all the countries into one ad? set?
1: um, We've, we've done both in the past in terms of setting up a, a dedicated ad account just for international. Um, if it's if it's a similar avatar in terms of like a very similar customer, similar buying behaviors, buying habits, we'll usually keep it in the same account. Um, okay. What we've done is that, that we found has worked well is like looked at like using Gideon, for example, because they use, you know, different tiers and other people do like tier one, tier two, tier three geos, right? Mm-hmm. And so we'll obviously start with tier one geos. We'll create a CBO campaign with, you know, 10, 12 locations, each one using like the best, broadest interest. Um, so for that, like that, that Net hammock product that I, I shared, we, we did a, a lot of, num- you know, did some really big volume on a while back. We knew that like yoga was like a really big interest that worked really well in the US and it had mm-hmm. very big audiences in most countries looking at. So we basically took all the top countries, just, you know, all gender, all ages. We threw in yoga as the interest um, ran that. We looked at which of those countries showed some promise. We're showing you know decent CPAs. We then isolate those into their own CBO camp, and then we'd make our lookalikes, all of our audiences, and put a lot more work and time into it. Create a dedicated CBO campaign with our 8 to 12 audiences on that location with our top lookalikes. The the, the final strategy that um, we tested that worked actually really well, which I, I didn't expect it to, was like a blended lookalike of tier one, tier two, and tier three. So we do like a tier two. Mm-hmm buyer lookalike blended audience where we basically put all the locations when we're creating a lookalike for buyers under it and then create the one two and ten percent and run those there were larger audiences those actually were some of our top performing international audiences when we were doing it um and that was the first time i tried it and it worked really well
0: cool yeah i've I've had a lot of success with blended lookalikes on uh even even in one country also just blending like uh, buyers, Ed carters uh, et cetera, kind of all like, a bunch of one percenters together and so on. So that's pretty cool. to do it interna- international also. Um, so I've got, uh, I've got one question left, at least officially here. Uh, and it's a million dollar question, Max. How do you feel about CBO?
1: How do I feel about CBO?
0: Yeah, it's going to be uh, where we're in, uh, where are we in now? Uh, May? Uh, almost in June. And it's supposed to be that they're going to acquire in September, right? So uh, uh, do you think it's good? Do you like it? You found success with it, or uh, yeah, I think you pushing it
1: on us. <laughs> uh, part of me, is, I think it's it's kind of shitty and, and doesn't really make too much sense to for like forcing. I get deploying new features. I, I don't get the the value in forcing something on people. Kind of be like forcing manual bidding and not allowing auto bidding anymore. It would be like that to me, and it doesn't make much sense. Um, mainly because of certain strategies like. You know, like certain retargeting strategies and and testing and things just work a lot better in a way cleaner using ad set budgets. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, just there's not a clean way or like a just a simple way to do some of the things we've done for a very long time. Um, So that part is frustrating. I think we kind of just once we knew it was going to be the law of the land, uh, honestly, we went all in and just said, listen, like, I would rather, even though we take some hits today. Like, just commit to making it work and testing everything we can. Um, so, we're ready and way ahead of the curve than to keep running ad set budget up until September, which I think some people are doing. And listen, I get it. You want to make as much money as possible, but like, it's a fact that it's going to stop. So, I, I would rather, despite all of our feelings, our feelings don't matter anymore to Facebook. It's that's what's going to happen. So, we just got to operate in the world we're, we're given. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I have frustrations with it, but I, I think there, there are upsides and I, I think Facebook will continue to make it better. And that seems to be the path they want to go down is l- do less, like focus more on product quality on their landing page, on your creative mm-hmm. and let us do a lot of the other stuff. And that, that seems to be the path. So hopefully they just continue to improve the AI and,
0: and they're their absolutely. And, uh, one thing I've been recommending to people is, uh, uh, to kind of hold off personally, personally, I think people should hold off for just a little bit longer on CBO, because the way machine learning works, right, is that it, it starts out kind of shitty, gets better, 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 but then it's exponential. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, in the next couple months, that their AI will get that much better uh, on, or their machine learning, rather, uh, on CBO, but, uh, but I'm about a month away from diving in heavy to CBO. I was doing a lot initially, and probably only like 20% of what I'm doing right now is CBO, but uh, it's definitely not looking. Forward to the uh, uh, September, but but I, I had seen Facebook say they're going to roll out features and make things uh, uh necessary, and then in some cases they they roll it back or they put the date back. So I yeah. think it's possible they'll do that with CBO because uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, kind of public outcry about it. But uh, but I guess well, I guess we'll find out, right? Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's that's all I got for you, Max. Um, but what? what would be uh, the best way for people to connect with you uh, you know find out more about you get your services whatever
1: sure i mean the easiest just go to unicorninnovations.com um, that has every everything we do and all of our social instead of plugging 15 things for you guys um, just <laughs> that has got everything you guys can you know you know connect with me out here on, on facebook and um, I know we're we're talking about some stuff on the, the pay traffic training side, so I'm sure we'll be able to to come up with something that we can present to everybody soon. So, looking forward to that.
0: Cool. Well, I appreciate having you on, Max. Uh, this marks our first official AdLeaks podcast. Uh, so, thank you for coming on, and uh, have a good one, man. You too, man. Thanks. All right. Bye.